Hey guys, it's Kev here. Um, before we start the pod today, I just wanted to quickly give you guys a heads up that we interviewed Rob um, from Sly Dog Studios, and the quality turned out to not be great. So, uh, But the interview is so good that I wanted to keep it in. So I was really torn, um, but I decided to keep it in. So if you find that you can't handle it, um, definitely skip ahead because um, it doesn't go for the whole episode. But uh, I definitely suggest that you try to stick through it because it's really really good so uh thanks a lot guys Welcome to this week's edition of the Assembly Line, an NES homebrew podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin from Khan Games. And I'm Bo from Soul Goose Productions. And we're going to talk to you about some homebrews. Appreciate all the enthusiasm we've been getting from the community. Uh, actually, seems like a lot of people are enjoying it. Um, so we got a question from... We got a couple questions, actually. A couple write-ins. Um, one from Corey. A good friend, Corey, who let me borrow Starkeeper, uh, which we talked about in episode three. So if you haven't uh, listened to that one, go back and check it out. We uh, we like the game a lot. So he wanted to know, um, you know, both you and I, when we are releasing our games, we kind of do it all ourselves. Uh, we, you know, flash the boards and assemble the carts and, and build the boxes and ship them all out ourselves. And, you know, it, it's, it's rewarding and it's fun, but it's kind of a pain in the ass. So he wanted to know, like, if... If someone wants to do what we do, but they don't have the ability or the time to do like a self-publication thing, like what other routes are available to people who make games um, in order to release them, you know, where maybe they aren't doing everything themselves? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's way, way bigger than the one sentence text that he sent you, (laughs) which is good. It's good. It's not often that I'm verbose, but here we are. Well, I covered everything that goes into it, except I would also add to it that um, another factor, if you, besides the hassle and time and all that, is location. If you uh, live overseas and most of the sales end up being in North America, either the U.S. or Canada, and then sort of Western Europe. But if you live in um, other places, it, the shipping costs can add up real fast. If you if you have to get materials from the U.S. and then ship them back and forth and all that, and you have customs and everything else. So anyways, if somebody wanted to get some help with all that, there are actually several options these days. You can go to, let's see, Retro USB, Infinite NES Lives, uh, there's, let's see, Megacat Studios, Airwalk Studios... Rose Colored Gaming has done at least one homebrew, and Pico Interactive. There's some larger, oh, and myself. Uh, I actually do some <laughs> publishing for people. Forgot about that one. And there are some, some larger sort of uh, publishing houses. That might not be the quite what we're talking about, but, you know, it's all, it's all small scale. These are, you know, all run and owned by individuals who are helping other individuals out. And so the process, I haven't actually gone through that process because I wanted to self-publish to begin with, but you did, Kevin. 
Yeah, the first uh, three or four games that I released, I released through Retro USB. Um, and for me, it was kind of natural, uh, just the evolution of the way things worked, because I learned to code from Brian uh, through his Nerdy Night tutorials on Nintendo Age. And, and I was, you know, asking him questions along the way when I was making Frogger and and he helped me out. So I set up kind of this direct line of communication with him to where when the game was done, it only seemed natural to, you know, to use him to release it because he, you know, by that point he had been doing it for at least a couple of years. He, he helped Al Bailey release Sudoku um, 2007. And uh, was, was the Power Pack released by then? I think so. Who would have been somewhere around then? Yeah, around that same time. But anyway, he he was sort of the go-to guy for both parts and and distribution and knowledge for that matter. So um, we didn't really sign any contracts, but you know, I sent him my code. He he agreed to sort of handle the assembly and and shipping and all that stuff. And it, it was a pretty good deal. I mean, I didn't really by the time it was done being programmed, I had to do zero of the work. He handled everything. So. Uh, we set up an agreement, and I don't know, I think he has it on his website somewhere to where, you know, it shows the rates of, of what, you know, you'll get paid and he gets paid. And I, I don't know if he wants me to get into that on the podcast, but um, <laughs> for someone who, you know, isn't afforded the luxury of doing it themselves or, you know, just can't or doesn't want the hassle, um, it's it's awesome just letting someone sort of do all the hard work for you and and you just kind of sit back and, and watch people, you know, purchase the game and it arrives at their house and, and you just get all the messages from people saying how great it is. So it's awesome. Yeah, so you hope. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've been fortunate to where people have, have liked most of my games. Well, so. It's true. Especially that sneak and peek. That well, that's a, why I said most of my games. Both. That's a classic. <laughs> uh, well, back then, though, he was really the only option uh, for a number of years, like, he was the only one that would do all the work for you that sort of had a online presence and looked more official than just, you know, somebody doing a run of a hundred copies or something. Mm-hmm. And back then there also weren't really flashboards. So you had to, you know, program the EPROMs, solder them onto the boards, all that, which was a lot more time consuming than it is for us these days. Yeah. And I think the availability of flashboards is sort of what opened up the market a little bit more to, uh, you know you and i type people who want to just do them themselves and and who was the first person other than brian to to sort of come up with flashboards to make that available uh infinite nes lives paul over there he runs uh he runs that and yeah he started offering those in i think 2014 maybe 2013 it's all sort of blurry those that first year because i hadn't finished anything so i I knew i needed boards but i didn't quite know what i needed so (laughs) kind of you know, hadn't bought anything yet. But uh, yeah, right about that time, he started offering his flashboards, and Brian sort of pulled most of his stuff from the market. And then since then, we've seen some other people. I know Adam over at Airwalk, he he has uh, one that you use EE proms with, so it's not flashboards, but it's a cheap board, which is nice if you want to still do like the uh, programming part yourself, the programming of the, the chips, which some people really enjoy. I mean, we are programming an assembly. We've gone to all this trouble to make a game. It's sort of rewarding to be able to do the whole process and have it look just like a standard NES cartridge would look, other than, you know, not using mask ROMs. Yeah, being able to flash games, you know, it, the easy way is definitely not how it was done back in the day, right? No, no even uh, testing your code through a compiler could take, you know, like minutes. I remember reading the guy who programmed Battle of Olympus, and I think he said it took like five minutes just to compile the code. 
Oh man, something like that. We're spoiled now to where we can we can compile and and test the new ROM within a matter of seconds, and it, it's such quick turnaround. I I can't even imagine having to wait that long. I think I would be a lot more careful with what I did if that was the case. <laughs> I don't think I'd like it. No, it would be it'd be well. I don't know. I heard uh, the guy who wrote uh, Ant Attack, uh, which was a what, ZX Spectrum game, I think one of those uh, British computers. He did the whole thing on a plane, on paper. Really? And then went, yeah, then went home and wrote, programmed it all in, and it worked perfect. Uh, not perfect, but it, it fired up the first <laughs> time. And it, he wrote it in like three days or something. I don't know. It's been a while since I've read the story. but uh, Do you ever code on, on pen and paper, like when you're not around a computer? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I did that a, a lot uh, when I was working on study hall. When I was at, I was, think I was working at Sears at the time in, in Colorado, and I would... Uh, I would write down my thoughts, you know, and I'd, I'd actually write the logic, you know, in, in English sentences, and then I'd go back line by line and try to figure out what the code would be. And then when I got home, I'd plug it into my computer and, and hoped that it worked. And usually it did. Oh, mine never hardly does, but I th- <laughs> think having it not work so easily with a compiler would have made me more careful. But Yeah, for sure. Flashing, too, if you had to program a EEPROM every time, like... I sometimes I just forget to put uh, the GT ROM. The board that I use has a small section of code that's different. I often forget to put that in, and then I go to flash the board, and it doesn't work. And I'm like, "What's going on?" Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you go back, and you take another thirty seconds, you do it again, and it's like if that took five or ten minutes, that would just be painful. You're uh, lucky if you figure out what you did wrong in thirty seconds, though. Usually, it's like three hours later after you've looked <laughs> at every other aspect of your code, and then you realized, oh, it's this stupid line that I forgot to change. Oh, I do this do this error often. Don't worry. <laughs> it's, it's like an old hat at this point. So we got M- Infinite NES Lives. Uh, who else does some distribution? I know Mega Cat Studios does. They used to be Eight Bit Evolution. Um, they've they published for some people that I haven't really heard of too much. They seem to have have their own little team of people. I'm not quite certain. Not a lot of the folks around the forums that I've I've seen, anyways. And they also do Genesis, and they just put out like three games. So they're they're getting going. Um, mm-hmm. It it'll be interesting to sort of see some of those. I haven't haven't bought any of them yet. And then Rose Colored Gaming did one Ninja Slapper, which I think had been free online for a few years and then they somehow got the rights to it and did a full cib release and then i think they're mostly known for reproductions and super very beautiful elaborate reproductions yeah it was the first and only thing i've ever bought from them because repros really aren't my bag but Mm -hmm. uh yeah the only thing i bought from them they released uh some super nintendo zelda reproductions that were that were very pretty no oh yeah you were trying to auction those off not too long ago oh yeah I, i resold them not gonna lie, <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that. Their stuff's very nice, but uh, I, I know with Ninja Slapper, you know, it was it was it was a game. It was a Pong clone, so it's you know you can only do so much with Pong. They dressed up a turd. Go ahead and say it, Bo. Go ahead no, and say it. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying that. All right. Uh, and then you have Pico, who he has been around for a number of years. He does some homebrews, but he also does a lot of, and mostly, I think, unreleased games. He buys the rights to them, and he officially releases them. And that's sort of his main thing. He also has gotten some uh, Chinese stuff translated, and then bugs fixed and all that. Sort of like what uh, Super Fighter Team did with some of those Genesis games. But he has also done a few homebrews and offers a publishing service. Quest Forge is the big one for the NES, and I think... <sighs> 
love Quest Forge. We'll get to Quest Forge one of these episodes. Don't worry. Are it's... we gonna do an episode for Quest Forge? Heck yes. That's like God one of my favorites. Bless you. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I'd say we're doing the Mad Wizard today, which I don't even think we've mentioned yet, and that one is I've said time and time again, my favorite homebrew of all time. Um, but Quest Forge is definitely right behind it. It is uh, It is very good. And then, let's see. Oh, and he's also done, I know Shiru did uh, oh, it was some sort of chopper game. And then they all sound the same to me. Chopper Attack, Choplifter, uh, something. But it was a Super Nintendo one. It's one of the few Super Nintendo homebrews. And, you know, it's Shiru, so the work quality is always amazing. And he's also done one for the Game Boy Advance, a uh, re-release of Nathan Tolbert's, uh, which I'm probably saying incorrectly, Tolbert, uh, his uh, kind of Zelda-like action-adventure called Anguna, which he had originally assembled by hand back in the mid-2000s, I believe. And after uh, China had sort of discontinued offering, yes, China as a whole country, had discontinued <laughs> offering uh, Game Boy Advance flashboards, uh, he had kind of ended production of it. I, I think I, I do have one of the originals where, like, you know, it's a sticker put on with, by hand and all that, and you can clearly tell, and it's, it's an awesome game. But, yeah, Pico picked that one up and has re-released it. But his NES stuff is, is pretty slim at the moment. It's just uh, Quest Forge, which if you're going to have one game in your library, you might as well have Quest Forge. One, one game by Pico or one game at all? Well, for anybody, if you're going to you know, only publish one NES game, that's a great oh, one. Oh, okay, yeah, I will agree with that. Yeah, and I think it was done by Ludosity's music programmer, um, but I'll have way more information on that when we actually get around to it. Yes, I look forward to that, and I hope you do too. Oh, you being me or you being them? You being that. Well, both of you. you okay. well, <laughs> both thanks. of the two people listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, did we want to talk about some more developers or publishers, or do you want to move on? What do you want to do? That's pretty much it. I, I think I'm. I Adam with Airwalk Studios has done some publishing. Uh, he put out a couple versions uh, or a couple games. He did a re-release of Assimilate and a re-release of Virus Cleaner after Rob did. Rob and John both did their original runs. Mm-hmm. And did he did he finish and release Get 'Em Gary on NES? Oh yeah, and he just did. Uh, yeah, Rob programmed Get 'Em Gary for the NES uh, for Adam. And yeah, that came out uh, recently, which I have but have not fired up yet. Like many many games in my <laughs> never enough hours in the day. There aren't. Especially uh, is, if you're trying to make them. Exactly. I'd rather make games than play games half the time. And uh, so this podcast is a nice way to start actually playing through that large library. We're, mm-hmm. We've got a good number of games uh, out there. Yeah, and there are there are some more you know publishers out there. But we don't... I mean, of course, this isn't going to be an all-encompassing list. We're just trying to sort of throw no. out the, the, the biggest and the best. And, uh, and I'm sure there will be more to pop up. So uh, we're always going to leave somebody out, sadly. Yeah. But uh, there's always another episode, so there's you know that too. That's right. We're going to be around forever. Well, for uh, okay, let's not do that. All right, no, let's see. <laughs> so the other the other write-in question I had, um, and I don't recall who wrote it in. I apologize. It was asking a little bit more information about the, uh, I guess the the box and manual sort of side of things like how we design the boxes and manuals and and how you know who we go through to print them 
how that whole process is done. Well, if you're doing self-publishing, like you can buy boards and shells right over the counter. It's easy. They're all interchangeable. But packaging is really the sticking point uh, because it is an expensive investment if you're getting a large run. If you're doing a small run or doing a print-on-demand thing, then the uh, investment in equipment is actually quite high. Yeah, in, in the past, most of us have gone to uh, you know one or two different uh, people who have connections to you know like cardboard printing like companies. Um, so Uncle Tusk is a big one. He has UncleTusk.com. Uh, for the longest time, he was sort of the go-to guy. He did all the boxes and manuals for retro USB stuff, uh, and he started making you know boxes and manuals for you know some reproductions that maybe didn't have uh, a box and manual when they were released. He actually did the box and manual for Study Hall, um, which I confusingly didn't release with the cartridge on retro USB. It was a big mess. Um, but uh, some other people have popped up. I know uh, Riz, who has released Arm for Battle, which I'm sure we'll get to. Oh, yes. Um, he started offering his services, and he's who I used for my uh, box and manual for the incident. And I used him for Swords and Runes and Zero Dex. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and his stuff's really high quality. Yeah. Um, but ever since, uh, since then, it seems like uh, some more sort of do-it-yourself options have sort of uh, presented themselves so I know you bought your own equipment to start trying to do all that yourself is that right yeah yeah it, uh, I happened upon a laminator from one of the old elementary schools where actually my grandfather worked at uh, many years ago it was at a flea market and this giant laminator and I was like you know what I think I could find a use for that <laughs> so I bought it and then ended up buying a lot more expensive things to go along with it but uh and then Aaron a good friend Aaron has helped me sort of figure out how to do all that because he also does some of his own boxes and manuals and stuff like that yeah he did the boxes and manuals for my four and one release um oh, that's right and he did the manuals for scramble so he's been he's one of the nicest guys I know he's very selfless um, so having him as you know a knowledge resource and just as a friend uh, he's been great yeah and we've actually met uh, most of the box and manual guys I mean we met Frank and Vince and of course who'd you just mention Aaron jeez <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah of so, course such Aaron. a great friend that guy yeah yeah nothing like hey, what's his name minutes away uh, <laughs> But no, my mind was already on to the per one person I haven't met is Francis, who runs NES City, and he is a sort of a lot like Uncle Tusk in terms of which is Vince, a lot very similar in terms of offering a lot of stuff for things that did not come homebrews and repros that did not come with uh, box manual and labels. Yep, he's probably most well known for doing uh, the boxes for each year's Christmas cartridge. Oh yes, that is correct. Yep, and he did uh, the box. He actually did some sneak and peek, sneak and peek boxes, um, and he did, like I just mentioned, the box for my 2012 Christmas cartridge. So uh, it's nice to have all of those sort of housed because orphaned cartridges are sad cartridges. That is his logo, or something along those lines. <laughs> it should be. <laughs> but yeah, so if you wanted to do your own stuff, the packaging is really the sticking point. Uh, it helps to know things like Photoshop. But even if you know all the design stuff, the, the physical manufacturing of it is where you end up spending a lot of time in order to save money. And so it's just all depends how you want to do it. 
Yeah, and each of the different people sort of has their own templates that you have to use. So um, if you're looking to do this yourself uh, and you decide who you want to go through, definitely get in contact with them um, so you can get the proper templates just so when they send you know the files to their specific box and manual printer, it doesn't come out looking askew. Well, and you have to sort of uh, kind of fit your game to the publisher as well if, if you have a game that's probably only going to sell 40 50 copies like the publisher is probably not going to invest in three to five hundred box manual and labels for it uh, yeah that would be silly they either make you pay for it or you they end up losing money and they don't want to do that uh, yeah <laughs> so, which is one of the reasons why i switched to a print on demand system is uh, you know i'm still sitting on quite a few boxes for uh, swords and runes which i i knew i would but at the same time it was like geez i could have you know saved this money and not paid so much quite up front uh, just by doing a print-on-demand thing. And on the opposite of that, um, when I released Study Hall, like I previously mentioned, um, I did not have the capital to invest in a big run of boxes and manuals, so I decided to go cartridge only, only later to find out that uh, Brian, who runs Retro USB, if he believes, you know, in the game and knows that it's going to sell, you know, enough money to recoup his 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 money, um, he will front the money to get boxes and manuals. And I wish I would have known that at the time because I, I confused a lot of people by making them buy the box and manual uh, elsewhere. You confused me, sir. Okay, well, should we get to the the big show? The big show. What are we talking about today? Which game? I think I already spoiled it for some people, but. What's the big reveal? The Mad Wizard. Yes, I know that you all didn't know what it was, even though it's in the <laughs> title of the podcast episode. Uh, but yes, The Mad Wizard, my favorite homebrew of all time. I will never shut up about that because it's so good. It's so good. It's one of the few homebrews I feel that truly has its own sort of personality. I mean, the game is just so, so charming. It is a platformer with a little twist. Do you want to tell the listeners about the twist, Bo? Um, well, instead of the big thing, you know, most platformers, you run and you jump. Uh, this, the Mad Wizard, you actually levitate instead of jumping, mm-hmm. which is a movement of you press A and then you slowly move up. And then you can either move right or left one, and eventually you can move, well, eventually you can move like right or left three. And then you can also eventually move up further than that one, uh, which allows you to... It follows the Metroidvania, uh, for lack of a better word, genre in terms of you explore this world that you can see places you can't get to, but through powering up, you can then get to them. And I think that's one of the most um, sort of interesting and impressive uh, aspects of this game I think it must have taken him a lot of time and a lot of planning to make sure, you know, all of the places that you aren't supposed to get to until later in the game, uh, he made it unavailable to get there. Um, so it must have taken a lot of planning just, just to know, you know, make it just out of reach because you don't need to go there yet. Do you mean planning in terms of time or planning in terms of thought? A thought. Thought yes, but yeah. time-wise, it I think has the record for being the fast one of the fastest homebrews put together. Oh, you mean development time? Development time, yeah, from oh, start yeah. to finish. From uh, well, we'll talk with him later about that, I guess. Yeah, and the fact that he, the fact that he did it so quickly and pulled off such such a great game. I mean, I, I just I can't say enough about this game. Um, you know, a lot of times, 
you know, I don't want to say, you know, things we say on this podcast are hyperbole, but this game truly, truly <laughs> deserves every good thing we say about it. Um, so why don't you walk us through some of what you find in the game? Uh, is it a space setting? Is it uh, medieval uh, fantasy? Yeah, I'd say it's it's probably closer to medieval. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, that was a facetious question. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you know, NES <laughs> graphics a little bit primitive. Sometimes you can't uh, tell. Um, but yeah, it's 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 called the Mad Wizard, uh, and it's actually part of this uh, epic series that he's sort of developing over time with with a lot of different titles that I'm sure we're going to talk about in the future. Um, but this specific uh, adventure has to do with uh, a character named Heckle. And Heckle, uh, he has to... You, you, when you start the game, uh, you start out at his house. And what's really cool about this game is the house is sort of centralized. Um, so anytime you die and get a game over, uh, and there are infinite continues, um, it will start you out, you know, back at your house. So if you're way on the outskirts of the map and you, you know, get a power up that took you forever to sort of get to, if you want to quickly get back to, you know, the middle of the map to, to go to your next place, you can sort of kill yourself, uh, hit continue and you'll start, you know, in the middle of the map with the power up you just got and you can continue along your way. So it, it's a game that I think if you gave it a lot of uh, a lot of run throughs and sort of learned where everything is, you could really challenge yourself on doing some speed runs. Uh, you had a pretty impressive one, if I recall, didn't you? Yeah, um, I don't remember the exact time, but but for a good amount of time, I was claiming to have uh, the world record on <laughs> fastest completion. <laughs> but I actually think that Rob's son uh, beat my time, which isn't uh, isn't surprising because that guy. I mean, if a spawn of Rob, a gaming master, it's not surprising that that a son of him is just as good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, the game was created by Rob, Rob Bryant of Sly Dog Studios, which we probably should have already mentioned, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard when you talk about the Mad Wizard, you just get so excited. Yeah, and uh, I've known Rob for a long time. Uh, for many years, he was probably my closest friend in the homebrew community. We used to stay up at night uh, on AOL Instant Messenger, sort of, you know, encouraging people, or encouraging each other, um, you know, with our different projects that we were working on, and can't say enough good things about the guy um and as 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 good as you know as good of a person as he is and as much as i love him even if i hated the guy i have to give him props for this game it's so good so aol and messenger would be like what late 90s well i mean that's when most people used it i think but i'm just kidding <laughs> a few of us about. a few of us aren't uh, aren't giving it up because it's it's just such such a convenient way to uh you know just shoot messages back and forth um it made a lot of development uh, questions easy to get quick answers from. So yeah, Rob's an old hat at all this. Uh, he's been around for a long time. Uh, so what about the graphics? What do you think about the graphics? Graphics are, I mean, I used the word charming earlier. I, I think that uh, there is a little bit of simplicity to them, but I think that only adds to the charm. I mean, it's such a consistent feel throughout the game um, that the graphics, I think, are just really, really cute. It makes you... It makes you just want to keep playing and, and see what's going to pop up next. It's almost more NES than most NES games in that it borrows from the, the earlier period where they used heavy black backgrounds like Ice Climber or mm -hmm. 
even the background, the underground levels in Mario, where it's just flat black and you're running along, uh, most of the game has that that going for it. And at first, you think it's really simplistic, but the more you look at it, it takes a lot of skill to make a whole game that that uses that style. And I know because I've been trying to do one, and it's uh, it's very <laughs> difficult. And did he do the graphics himself for this game? He did not. Uh, he might have maybe done some of them but I, I think most of them were done by his buddy sean who he grew up with uh, lives a couple houses down and he it must also... have been cool to do a game with with a buddy who you probably grew up playing nes with oh man that would be just amazing yeah, yeah. good stuff I don't even know where the kids i grew up with are these days so <laughs> there is that but uh um but i think this game there's there's a lot of things i like about it but another thing i like is the fact that you can beat it in one sitting without spending more than a couple hours. Like it's cool to where it's, it's almost like a puzzle game on top of a platformer um, to where there's, you know, there's different paths that you have to co- kind of figure out, you know, am I supposed to go this way? Cause it's, it's open world. Um, you, there's a lot of exploring to do after you beat it. It's, it's such a, it's so satisfying. It, it's just, it's perfect, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's open world based on uh, the power-ups you have, uh, which I always find to be an interesting mechanic. And I will go on record to say the when you upgrade your levitation speed, because um, when you start the game, the first thing you immediately notice is, oh, I can't jump, I'm levitating. And oh, the levitating, it's kind of a slow sort of animation. Like, is this how it's going to be? So it immediately sort of slows down your, you know, your, your energy of, you know, most, most platformers for me anyway, I'm, I'm running and I'm jumping and I'm running and running, running as fast as I can. Um, so you, you have to sort of slow down, you know, to, to realize I'm going to be levitating for this whole game. But once you get that levitation speed that you might not even know is coming about halfway through the game, I think it is the most satisfying upgrade of any game in the NES library. It really, really is. Because you can suddenly like demolish a bunch of enemies that kept hitting you no matter how fast you move. And then also get to some areas that you could like almost kind of get to, but with you take too many hits to get there and you die before you could actually like grab the next power up. Uh, and then mm-hmm. there's a spot in that first sort of area of way off to the left that, uh, well, you go to the right and then you go way to the left. Oh, the and graveyard I, over there. No, no. If you go down to the subterranean area, but then like, instead of going to fight the first boss, you go all the way to the left and then uh, you can, okay. like see it and you can almost get it. But you got the golem that's like dropping stuff and you got the, <laughs> the snake or the goblin that's running back and forth and, Man, so good. All the enemies are so cool. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's surprising, but I think there's only 11 of them. 11 different enemy types? Yeah, I mean, for, for the game being as big feeling as it is, there's hardly any different enemies, and there's, you know, there are quite a few graphics, but they're, it's all put together in such a way that, that leaves you wanting more. Yeah, and it's not an overly difficult game. I think most of the difficulty probably comes from the bosses. Um, but what's cool is, you know, you're you're going through these different paths throughout the map to try to track down different upgrades to either, you know, increase how many times you can levitate upward or left and right, you know, before you fall. Um, so you're taking a hit or two along the way and trying to get to, you know, whatever boss... Uh, is guarding, you know, a power up to where you have, you know, enough sort of 
respawns uh, to where you can complete it because it does take a little bit uh, a little bit of a trek to get to the different areas. Well, it is it is very much a puzzle game, even mm-hmm. though it's it's a platformer. Uh, each room you can you know time out your shots and you can get through each room without taking any damage. But you know you you make mistakes or you get in a hurry or you want to play it like a platformer in terms of you you can see your character and there's pits and you you want to be able to jump across it but you're levitating and moving and so that causes you to make a lot of mistakes that that you might not if you were playing like adventures of lolo where you know you can it's just one room at a time and not a whole world you're trying to explore but the bosses especially you you have to learn those patterns and you get to them and you get to observe them a couple times and then you die and it's a game over and you start back at your house and it's like, oh, shoot. But I think <laughs> I know how to beat it this time. Yeah, and there are different, other than the the upgrades to how you know high and left and right you can levitate, there are some pretty cool power-ups you get. You can build um, a bridge to sort of uh, get a little bit farther across you know different pits um, and you can create a block um, to jump on to get to some higher places. Um, but you know, for most of the game, you can only do one or the other of those. You can't do them at the same time. So you have to really sort of plan out how to get uh, to different parts of the map in, in clever ways. There's also a really cool power-up you can get to where you can teleport across the screen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he really came up with some clever uh, and interesting power-ups on top of you know the puzzle aspect to where you're trying to plan if you can reach these different you know parts of the map through your levitation. Well, and you have things trying to kill you the whole time too, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's so fun. Uh, and some of the some of the paths even have sub bosses. Like when you get toward the end of the game, um, to where you're revisiting some bosses that maybe you've killed earlier in the game. So. It's it's uh it's high adrenaline, man. It's fun. It is, and you you mentioned that you have to play through it in one sitting. There are no saves. There are no passwords. Like it's a it's a one time through deal. So you got to sort of set aside a block of time. But yeah, but it's never. I, I don't think you ever feel that you can't progress. Like everything is doable. Um, you just have to get there one. You know, with enough uh, hits that you can take to where you before you get a game over. But yeah, it's 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 never it's not a battle kit. I'll just go ahead and say it. <laughs> I was trying to think of a think of a, a more tactful way to say it, but yeah. That's probably the closest point of comparison though in terms of they're both single screen, they're both kind of like puzzle platformers in a way, but the Mad Wizard doesn't just try to kill you as fast as possible. It and it's not even about it gives you hope, it's about it, it gives you a challenge and mm-hmm. you can solve the challenge in a way that's more than just hitting buttons as fast as possible or memorizing this exact jump or things like that Mm -hmm. which personally is like more what i enjoy is i love metroid i love uh the castlevania aria of sorrow and symphony of the night like those are really the only platformers that i play because i'm terrible at mario i said it and I think I've said it before, but I'll say it again. And I'll say it as many times as I need to. Even Mega Man, I'm terrible at unless I can use those energy tanks, which now I think I have said all that. Um, so we actually, we're going to bring Rob on uh, to tell us a little bit about his process. And we're going to ask him some questions to, uh, to get some, some interesting tidbits about the development and uh, his personal experience from making the game. All right, we're here with Rob Bryant from Sly Dog Studios. Rob, are you there? Cool. And Bo, you're here? Oh, yeah. Always here. Cool. Awesome. 
So this is working. Um, so Rob, we're going to ask you some questions. Uh, some of them are designed just for you, and some of them are kind of questions we ask everyone we have on the show. Um, but we just want to give the audience a little bit of insight into who you are uh, and the kind of things that you do. So when did you actually start programming for the NES? I think it was somewhere around 2005 or 2006, and uh, probably the end of 2005. And uh, I guess what was it? Uh, what was it like back then? Uh, it was tough to work with because uh, a lot of documentation wasn't really updated yet. It was it was like NestDev was in some sort of transition between uh, what people thought worked back in the day versus what actually works and what we know works now. And we're still finding out stuff like a few years ago, Bunny Boy finally discovered the uh, DMC glitch. And uh, they all worked together to figure out what was going on with that. and So stuff like that wasn't documented. and uh, Even right to the background wasn't <laughs> documented very well. So all, all this stuff was like kind of still noodling around in people's brains and making their way out into the Internet. And so it was, it was different back then, for sure. What made you want to start programming for the NES? Well, the NES was always my uh, favorite system because they had all the, almost all my favorite games on it. And uh, I don't know, I just like, like the idea of like, you know, over here is a game like Castlevania 3, and then uh, you could see like one of my own games in a directory with it. You know what I mean? So like my game is alongside these other greats, even though it wasn't back then, it works on the same hardware. So I just think that's really cool. You know what I mean? So how did you come up with the name Sly Dog Studios? Does it have some sort of significance, or did you just like the way it sounded? Uh, well, oddly enough, uh, uh, back in the day, <laughs> wow, yeah, back in the day, uh, me and a buddy of mine used to come, we came up with like our own video game systems, like in our head, and we'd, we'd, we'd always, because in old magazines like uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly, uh, even Nintendo Power, and Video games and computer uh, entertainment, I think. VG and ZE, I remember the initials. But, like, they'd always show system specs. And so we'd come up with our own specs that we think would be cool for a, a system. And, like, I'd have mine and he'd have his. And then we'd come up with our own pretend games in our heads. And my, my pretend system was called the Machina. <laughs> and it was spelled like machine but with an A at the end. There was even, there's even something on the Internet now called something like that I, I i don't know if it's a website or but uh one of the games i came up with for, for mine was going to be called sly dogs and then uh what kind of game was it it was going to be like a uh, uh mission impossible style game okay and uh anyway uh fast forward years later and uh i was jamming in a band and uh my buddy had recorded us live and actually made this little CD for me, and on it he put Sly Dog Studios. <laughs> and so that was kind of where the name came from, like, from all the way from when we were kids to when we were adults and stuff, so. That's awesome. Wow. Uh, that's always interesting how that kind of comes full circle. Um, so we talked about the Mad Wizard a little bit before we had you on, and uh, how would you describe the Mad Wizard? Uh, 
as a spiritual successor to Fire and Ice. Ooh. Interesting. Okay, yeah. I have played that once or twice. That, that does make a lot of sense. Like, if, if Fire and Ice was expanded to be a full adventure, you know, rather than screen-by-screen puzzles, it's kind of what... I, I think the Mad Wizard is like that evolution. You know, Solomon's Key, Fire and Ice combined into a big world. Huh. Okay. So you first unveiled the Mad Wizard at a, sort of a private group event back in 2014. Uh, what was the initial reception like? Oh, it was really good. Uh, everybody seemed to like it. And it was, I'll tell you, it was really interesting just watching people, you know, trying to figure out where to go and what to do. Uh, that was one of the most fun times I've ever had in my entire life was just watching people like, you know, here's this game I made. And people are like, okay, well, let's go this direction. And then they're all talking together. Wait, wait, no, wait, put this platform here. And it was just really interesting. And I, I thought it was awesome. That's funny. That's um, that I had a similar experience when I watched people play the incident um, when I was up at the NESathon, when uh, the first year that it was out. Uh huh. Wa- watching them all so- sort of trying to work together to figure stuff out. It it is a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> were Were they uh, able to beat the game, or like, did you see the full somebody play through the full thing at once, or did they not quite make it? Uh, no, they got to. But I, they did get to Beansy and Flurg. Ooh, that's the oh, hardest wow. boss in the game. Yeah, and that's they couldn't get any further than that. Uh, so I know the Mad Wizard was developed in almost like record fast time. Yeah, it was something like a well, month and three weeks. I that's believe. ridiculous. So what was that like? Like you made one of the biggest, fullest, most polished homebrews or. NES games period in less than two months. Yes, uh, uh, there was we we had sat on it after making it, and I think revised a couple of couple of screens, you know, here and there. But there was like no actively it wasn't being actively developed developed after that month and three weeks. It was just kind of born out of at the time I was working on that uh, dungeon crawler, uh, Candelabra Stasero. Ooh, we'll get to that. And uh, I, I was just, I was sitting there like, I was thinking to myself, you know, I really want to put this game out there. But at the same time, I was like, well, you know, how many people are going to want to play uh, a 3D maze game on NES? Because I've read so many people in the past go, oh, I hate these 3D mazes like GoGo13 and all that. You know, it's something I really like, and I'm still going to finish the game. But at the time, I, I went, man, I want to put out something now. That's you know that'll get people playing. And I, I was talking to the guy that I was working with at the time, and I said, you know, I, I want to put out some sort of like a platformer, but I can't program uh, proper like jumping yet. You know, proper background collision that would allow that. So while we were talking, we came up with the idea of levitation to get around jumping. Uh, the whole idea of the levitation was actually working around my ignorance of how to actually program jumping that's funny yes. i didn't know that and uh uh ended up working out came up with all these you know different ideas the the original intent though was like his magic was going to be like something to do with the four elements uh the block in the game was actually going to be a cloud and that was going to be have something to do with like water you know what i mean and so you jump on the cloud and uh yeah i think the bridge was going to be i can't rem- i can't remember but uh, it all morphed into these different things to where it became a bridge, uh, a solid block, and a teleportation 
So, um, you kept saying we were working on this and we were working on that. Um, is, is, are you talking about someone who did your art? Do you not do your own art for the game? No, my, uh, my buddy Sean had done the art. He did, uh, okay. all the graphics and, uh, the layout for the manual. And then, uh, we both, we, we both worked on, uh, you know, different screen layouts and such. But you did do the own, your own music, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it true that you write all of your NES songs on your bass before you transcribe them onto the code? Uh, most of the times, I, I just write one part on the bass. Okay. And then uh, I just kind of do the other parts, you know, following that. Most of the time, I, I put the bass part in the triangle channel, but sometimes I do put it in the square channel and work, work around, just depending on what kind of feel I'm wanting for that particular song. So you did the programming and Sean did the art, and then did the two of you come up with the actual individual screens together, or how did that work? Yeah, uh, at first it was like, within that month and three weeks, there was like a period of like four days of nothing. And uh, I got frustrated, so I just started making screens. And, uh, and <laughs> so he was like, I don't like the way this is going. You're just making screens. I'm like, it's the beginning of the game. You jump in here. You take this and let's just go work, work, you know? So, uh, we just started plowing through them. Like, uh, I would take one section. He'd take another section. We just plowed through it like that. And, uh, if neither, neither one of us communicated with the other and we just move on to the next thing. Like I ended up making the fire caverns and, uh, the underground, you know, and, the, the most difficult part of it all was making sure, because we were making it quickly, was making sure that, you know, well, we're going to have to make sure this item is, you can only go up like maybe two spaces on this level or up to this part in this level until you get this item. And so, I don't know, it, it all ended up working out, but it was a fast and furious pace of working. Some of the criticisms for the Mad Wizard, uh, there's admittedly very few, but some of them that have come up are that that it was it's too slow and they didn't like that they couldn't jump and that to me that sort of misses the you know central gameplay element the game is about a wizard who levitates not somebody who jumps and uh how does that sort of how do you take that kind of criticism when people sort of miss the point of what you were trying to do well uh i actually sympathize with the slow thing with them saying that it moves too slow because uh at one point, I had thought about moving, because you get that levitation speed power-up, where you start moving faster when you levitate. And I thought about moving that earlier in the game. And uh, mm -hmm. right now, it's like the fourth item you can get in the game. So, like, until you get that, it's really, really slow-paced. But that just makes it so much more enjoyable, like, when you finally get it and realize how much faster you can move now. It's euphoric. See, I think that also, but I also see the other side. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I can I understand people's frustrations with it moving slowly, but you no, know, I, I just I in the end I said, you know what? I'm just gonna let it go. Like no one complained uh, when in that big room. You know when I'm when I first showed it to people, no one said, "Oh, this moves too slow." Um, do you have a favorite childhood NES-related memory? A favorite one. Or just tell me a good one that's vivid in your brain. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> that was a whole big chunk. I, I guess uh, getting the NES. Because um, my dad wouldn't buy one. He's like, ah, no time for these video games. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, my buddy David, he's a magician here in town. And uh, 
but at the time, you know, we were kids in uh, middle school. And uh, he was like, yeah, I'm selling my Nintendo in like three games or something. And uh, and one of those three games was Metal Gear. And that was something uh, uh, the guy who I worked with uh, on Mad Wizard, uh, he had talked about Metal Gear that he had played at a buddy of his house. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I want this Metal Gear because it sounds awesome. And so I bought the NES, Metal <laughs> Gear, uh, Rad Racer, and I always forget what the third game was. But uh, yeah, that's just getting an NES in the first place was. Uh, Do you actually remember getting it? Oh yeah. Wow, I don't remember that far back in my brain. Oh, Santa brought us ours. I remember that. Ah, uh, what a nice guy. Santa didn't like well, me. He he rented <laughs> us some games too with a note to return them, but you know, <laughs> we, we didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> so what what uh what games had the most influence have had the most influence on you as a brewer? Like when you go to make a game, what do you look back to? Oh, um, man, it's hard to say, but I I I tend to like games that are different. So, like for instance, Friday the Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, so good. <laughs> That game is so different from anything else on the NES, you know what I mean? I just, I just find it to be amazing just in in its own little category or whatever. It's not really a platformer. It's not just a survival horror. You know, it's the way the map is in the background and you're walking in a big circle. I mean, just the whole thing is just really cool. And then the 3D rooms, I just really like that game because... It was so absolutely different from everything else. Yeah, it shows that you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. You can you can be as creative and unique as you want to be to come up with some pretty cool experiences. Right. And uh, Battletoads did the same thing, but they went overboard and just said, we're not just going to do something, something different with this. We're going to make this a, an epic game. The visuals, the music, this is going to be epic, you know. I just like looking at maybe not just uh, influence from you know single games so much as when I see something on a game that I, I see is different, I go, that's really cool. So you mentioned that The Mad Wizard is part of this Candelabra series, um, and you know privately you've told me you know sort of the plans that you have for some of the other games that are coming out, um, but what inspired you to make such an epic saga, you know, that encompasses different characters and each character having their own sort of story told. I, I don't really think, like, when you look at game series as they are, generally, uh, you see, like, a main character. You know what I mean? Like, the Ninja Gaiden series, you have people are going to kill me. Ryu. I say Ryu. Kill me. <laughs> so do I, buddy. But, Who uh, doesn't? <laughs> so you have Ryu, and that's the main character, and there's nothing else. I mean, great story and cool characters and stuff, but that's just it. I've always been, you know, like back in the day, I used to like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. And I just wanted to come up with a, a series that has different characters that all come together and meet up. Like when, when I started doing that Candelabra Estosro, I was like, that was originally going to be the first one. And then... Uh, when we got to the Mad Wizard, you know, we stopped working on the maze game. I went and we shifted to the Mad Wizard. That's I was like, well, wait a second. What if this is the same character from Candelabra Astasero? And so it started going from there, and then like this whole world started emerging. Where it's like, well, if we have this guy, then 
we'll have two more games, one with the, the male and the female, the Han and Hubs from Candelabra Sacero. But then after The Mad Wizard, uh, I came up with the idea for Rise of Amundus because I really liked the, the bad guy character at the end of The Mad Wizard. And I thought, well, maybe we'll have uh, a bad guy game where you play as a bad guy. Because I, uh, that, that's influenced from Metal Gear and what they've done with uh, Big Boss. And uh, I really wanted to have a game where you, you're playing as this heinously evil guy. And, you know, I explained that in the manual, what he's doing to these goblins. And, and then at the end, what he's going to do to this giant tree that helps keep peace in the forest or whatever. So I wanted, I wanted to really put this evil perspective out with that. So you're playing this weird dichotomy where you play the hero, but then the villain in a prequel to it. And then there's going to be villain. Uh, you're also going to play a villain for Han and a villain for Hubs in separate games. And then Candelabra, Sosro, and then uh, there's two other games at least planned for after that. But oh, wow. we'll see. So which game are you going to be working on next from that series? I'm probably going to go ahead and release a Sosro. I really want to get that one finished. Okay. And everything's just going to have to be released out of order, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, And that's the 3D Maze game, correct? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. So people might not know this about you, but you used to have a podcast of your own called The Dog Cast. Yes. Yes, I did. Why did, <laughs> why did you stop doing them? Oh, I just... Uh, consistency is hard to keep up with. I, I was trying to do it every night, you know, and... Uh, I probably still could, but it's just, it, it's so hard when you have a family with three kids, you know, <laughs> that, that was yeah. at the time I had three kids, you know, have four now. So I don't know if I'd be able to keep up with that. Well, I hope one day you get back to them. Yeah, I'd like to. So you're one of the best NES gamers that I know. Um, what is the hardest NES game that you've beaten? Yeah, oh, geez. I, I I don't know what the hardest one I've beaten is, but I can say my best accomplishment of a difficult game is Ninja Gaiden 3, uh, no life in Ninja Gaiden 3. Holy like, no death or whatever it's called. And I, like because that timer on the U.S. version, it keeps counting down on the very last level, even from one section to the next. And so I ended up, I had only like seven seconds left. Uh, when I, I finished off the last boss. I think I had might have had, like, one bar of health, too. I can't remember. It's it's on YouTube. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to ask you a couple questions that we ask everyone that come on the show now. Okay. What is your favorite homebrew of all time? My favorite homebrew of all time? Oh, that is a difficult one. <laughs> we ask the tough questions. It really is a tough one. I honestly do not know. Uh, I really like... Uh, Study hall. I really like. Uh, <laughs> Kevin asked this question, so you'll you'll tell him his game. No, that is not why. <laughs> Do you have a favorite home brewer of all time? Or one that's inspired you to to work on things or whatnot? Oh yes, that's my Yoda Memblers. Ah, yeah, he he was so instrumental in me getting started, because at the time, like I was saying, you know, documentation was really sparse, and uh, or outright wrong. And people were constantly telling me, you know, ah, oh, don't look at that. That's a bad document. And I'm like, man, it's right here on the website. And I can't look at it, you know. I'm like, it doesn't work. Why is it here? <laughs> and uh, some people just weren't very helpful while others were. And uh, Memblers ended up being, like, the most helpful because he would just say, 
you know, ignore what they say because there's there there are times where you would say, "Here's my code for what I'm doing," and people would would like put you down. They would say, you know, "Oh, you shouldn't do it like that. You should do it like this, like that." You're doing it wrong, and I'm like, "I'm doing it wrong. It's working," and that's that's what memblers would tell me. He'd say, "Look, ignore them." <laughs> he said, "Is your code doing what you want it to do?" And you know, is it performing the way you want it to perform? And I'd be like, well, "Yeah, it is." He said. Then, then you did it. Ignore all that. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's true, man. If your code works, it's it's the right way. I mean, you can argue about efficiency all day long, but if you're trying to make a game and you don't have, you know, memory constraints, what's the big deal? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've even had people... Uh, that Snail Maze game? I don't know who it was, but when I did that Snail Maze game, the SMS port, it, uh... Someone got mad at me because I didn't compress the uh, levels. <laughs> I'm like, why? I'm like, the, you know, there's only 12 levels or however many it is, and there's plenty of room. Why, why do I need to compress it just to appease you? I don't get it. <laughs> and that was yeah. on, was that on Nestev? I don't remember. It might have been an mm-hmm. IRC. It might have been on Nintendo Age. I don't remember who it was, but I remember just being like, Why? It doesn't even make sense. I don't need to compress it. All right, we got one more question for you, and it's the most important question. Are you ready? Seven inches. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Rob. <laughs> no, um, I know you're a big Rush fan. Mm. Is it true that XYZ is your favorite Rush song? I love XYZ. <laughs> <laughs> that song is awesome. That joke will never get old. It never will. <laughs> All right. Cool. You got anything more for him, Bo? No, thanks for coming on. Uh, it, was, it was great talking with you a little bit more. I learned a bunch of new things. And, uh, yeah, thanks for making awesome games. You've done some of the uh, most polished and most, most fun ones to play out there. So, uh, yeah, keep at it. Yeah, I think what I like most about Rob is everyone else um, who does games, they're... I don't think they think outside the box quite as much as you do, and I, I appreciate that because what you put out is always really unique. Thank you. I, I, I like to hear that a lot because that's I try to make things different, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all that Golgo 13. Oh, mm. We share a love of that. Yeah, I need to finish Anything, that. anything yeah. else that you want to say to anyone out there? Uh... No, I've, uh, I'm about to have a new release soon called Black Box Challenge. It's, I'm on the very final playtest of it right now. It's a big RPG. It takes hours and hours and hours to get through. Uh, it's a game where you go through and collect the original Black Box games for NES, and you get power-ups as you play the minigame versions of those games on this. And uh, I'm looking forward to releasing it and seeing what people think of it. Well, yeah, you said it was... You said it's going to be like 16 hours for people that don't know what they're doing, right? Maybe, because uh, it takes me about eight hours to get through the whole game knowing exactly where to go. Wow. Um, so, yeah. But you said this one will have saving. Yes, it has, it, oh, thank it you. has flash saving. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I'm pretty cool. excited to get it released. I bet. Okay. Then you can get to work on the Candelabra series. Yes. All right, Rob, we appreciate you coming on. All right, thank you much, guys. Thanks. And so if you wanted to purchase the Mad Wizard, it is still available on RetroUSB.com uh, for the very affordable price of, like, 
thirty or thirty-five dollars. Um, yeah, it's stupid how affordable this game is. He is he's. I mean, if you know Rob, you know he is the least money-hungry person in the world. Like he he would almost. I don't know. Pay someone to to buy his game. He just wants he wants to give it away for free. Um, he actually does give it away for free. If you go to his website, you can download it. Damn it, Rob! Uh, <laughs> how can you make such beautiful games and just not ask any money for it? It's silly. Um, but yeah, if you have an emulator, you can go to uh, is it slydogstudios.org? dot org. I mean, this yeah. is like old school. Yeah. So if if you if you don't you know necessarily want to to get a physical copy and by God, you need to because it deserves a spot on everyone's shelf. Um, but if you're just sort of uh, not a hardcore collector and you just want to check out the game, go to slidocstudios.org. I think he has a lot of his games up there to download and a lot of the soundtracks to the games. And uh, we haven't even talked about the music. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but did he release any sort of limited edition version of this game or was it just sort of here's the game up on Retro USB, go buy it? Oh, yeah, that's it. Uh, Rob has not... Oh, he really hasn't done many limit. He's only done one limited edition, and that was for his three-in-one two-player pack. And so the Mad Wizard was just released. It was cart only. He actually, instead to get around like having to make a manual or buy a manual, he put an in-game manual in there, and it looks just like you would see in an NES manual. It's really oh, neat. Man, he did such a good job with it. Even, like... Uh, he put so much thought into everything. It's awesome. But if you did really want a physical box and manual, you can actually go to Uncle Tusk and order them from him. Those boxes look good, too. Man. Oh, Sean did the art for him. It's it's sort of got that like glowing pink and green thing that, that you actually find in the game when you cast spells, and it, it fits perfect. It almost looks like it's foiled. I know like on some Magic of the Gathering cards, uh, they're like foiled cards to where... It like sort of, it's almost like it's popping off the card. the The colors on that box really, really jump out. It looks so good. It does, and Tusk always does good work. So what I want to do is I want to uh, talk about the music for a second. Um, and a lot of Rob's music, uh, and he's been making games for a while now. I think one of the the biggest things that sets Rob apart from uh, the different homebrewers out there is his music you can tell his music definitely has a heavy metal influence. Um, you can tell he's a big fan of the metal. Um, a lot of his music, it's dark, it's grungy. Uh, it has a lot of dissonance, a lot of heavy, heavy growly bass. Um, and I think it really, really has a unique sound. Um, and the song that we're going to end the episode with a little later on from the Black Box Challenge, I think is a little bit more uh, reflective of these heavy metal roots. Um, and I could very easily have have picked a song from the Mad Wizard to feature um, that, you know, that was just as, as heavy and dark and, and grungy. Um, but I wanted to sort of showcase um, a little bit of variety uh, in his music. So I'm going to what I'm going to play for you is the song that is actually the overworld theme um, when you first start the game. Uh, the melody in the bass is sort of structured into four counts. It's just a measure, and it doesn't start out you know, with the melody. It has a bit of an intro, um, but the bass line sort of has this one-measure loop, um, and he puts that against the melody in the, the square channels, which is basically two measures 
And I don't want to say that the the melody in the square channels doesn't necessarily go with the uh, the theme and the bass line because it does. Um, but I want you to just listen and sort of hear for yourself. It, it makes it sound a little chaotic. Um, so when you're playing it, if you can imagine yourself playing an adventure game along to this music, um, it can definitely create a little bit of tension. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun. Check it out. Was the adventure theme for the main uh, starting area for the Mad Wizard. Uh, like Bo mentioned, if you go to RetroUSB.com, uh, you can purchase a copy of that game um, if you wanted a physical copy. And then if you go to SlyDogStudios.org, uh, which is the home of the Sly Dog, um, you can download um, some of his full games uh, just in a ROM version if you want to check them out in your emulator. Yep, so... What do you want to talk about now, Bo? So, Kevin, what are you uh, what are you up to these days? Well, you, I know you definitely will be happy to hear, um, and some of you other people might be happy to hear, that I have officially started programming again. <laughs> I know that uh, every time I release a game and I sit around for a couple months and I'm like, you know what, I'm just, I'm done, I'm retired, I'm not going to make any more games. You're like um, Hemingway, you go hit the bottle and uh, just pass out for three months. You know, that's that's a little closer to the truth than some people might uh, realize. But, um, yeah, so <laughs> uh, I've started, I've picked up Isolation again. Um, we're going to be hitting up Portland at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo in a couple months. And uh, I think I might want to sort of show off this game a little bit. So I'm trying to get Chapter 2 uh, programmed. I have the graphics that were sent to me by MT. Um, and God, they're so good. Uh, but yeah, I've started programming a little bit of that, uh, just to sort of get back into the swing of things. Uh, and I actually, I mean, unsurprisingly, I'm sure, but I actually forgot kind of how enjoyable programming is. So I've been having a blast getting back on, back on the horse, back on the wagon. Back it on is something. really nice to have you programming again because it's been so lonely these last few months. <laughs> well, yeah, when you're when you're programming for the NES, it's kind of you kind of get lost in in that world of what you're working on, and it sort of becomes an obsession. You know, just trying to get one more subroutine written to get one more feature in the game, and you're just going, 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 um, and then a year later, you're done with the game, and you wonder where the time went. So. Uh, it's so fun good. to be back. It's fun to be back. So yeah, that's what I'm up to now. Programming isolation. And after I'm done with chapter two, um, cause I'm still waiting on the graphics for chapter three. So there's, you know, once I finish chapter two, there's not much more I can do with that game. Um, who knows what I'll do, but I'll probably jump back over to my Larry sequel, um, and see what kind of progress I can make over there. Ooh, spiritual inspiration, not sequel. Yes. Thank you. 
no copyrights were harmed in the making of this game. So the that's Adventures uh, of Barry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Uh, so what are you doing now? So yeah, I was working on my RPG and making some good progress, and I've, I've got the battle system like kind of going where I like it. But I, the problem when you tell people you're working on something is mm. that they don't leave you alone about it. Been there. That's why I don't announce anything I do. Well, I guess I kind of do now, but for a long time, I would I would just go dark and be like, "Hey, this game's done. Surprise." I remember those days. Uh, now, yeah, it's so annoying now, when people try to give you their feedback and tell you how you should do the game you're making. It's like, hey, if you want to do it that way, go make your own damn game. Or, I don't I'm even off care about rant. that. They just, they just tell you, go finish this. Uh, sometimes which, you need the motivation. Uh, sometimes you do. And I made the mistake about two years of, ago of, of announcing sort of a inspired by spiritual successor a spiritual sequel yes uh, to the oregon trail something that that kind of took the basic mechanics of a travel simulation uh, you know dysentery gonorrhea all that and you're traveling across country but i decided you know like i'm not big on ports uh, for whatever reason they just don't like fire my imagination the same way so like i had to make it my own and the ways that I did that was things like uh, making it modern day, you're in a car, you have a family, and I called it Family Vacation, sort of a working title, because I'm sure National Lampoons has copyrighted that, though I <laughs> don't know if they have, so we'll see. But I've also never seen that uh, Family Vacation. So I, when I started looking up or looking into doing this, I called it Family Vacation, and a lot of people instantly were like, oh, you're going to have the uh, Huckster Mobile or whatever? And I was like, I don't know what that, I don't know what that means. Because I have not actually seen those movies. I apparently lived a sheltered life or something. I started developing this game, and then six months later, I kind of lost all interest, and various things in life came up, and I It's easy to, to get burnt out, man. Uh, I... When you're putting so much effort into something, and yeah, you hit a roadblock, it's easy to, <laughs> to lose interest quick. Did you just do a pun on a road trip game? By Who, me? Up? Yeah, yeah, you. I'm looking at you. Uh, but yeah, so I, I kind of like gave it up. But there's this group of people who every time I talk to them, they're like, so did you finish that family vacation game? And I just got sick of it. And so I started thinking of it again a couple weeks ago. And like with the knowledge that I've gained in the last year and a half, it kind of came together real quick into like how where I wanted to take it. And I have most of the code written already, so it's like, well, I might as well play around with that while I wait for some art on the uh, the main RPG. It's and... awesome going back to old projects with knowledge that you've developed, you know, working on different stuff. Because you've done that numerous times, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, when I did Sneak and Peek, it was sort of my way to figure out how to do 8 by 16 sprites and... Um, you know, Larry was my way to sort of figure out how to do, you know, sort of a 3D world with, you know, actions in different locations. Eight years later. Buttons. Yeah. So, it, you know, each project you learn different skills that you can apply. Um, so when it seems like we're bouncing around from project to project, there's good reason. Um, because, you know, when you can't quite figure out how to do a specific thing that you want to do and then you sort of go in a different direction on a different project and you know by you know you just kind of figure things out along the way then you can go back and knock out that thing that gave you the roadblock 
Uh, it's awesome. Well, with Family Vacation, I hit sort of a design roadblock where, like, I had two perspectives and I was like, how do I mesh these together? And then suddenly, like, two weeks ago, it was like, oh, my goodness, that's how. And then it <laughs> just, like, I don't know what's happened in the last two weeks, but the game is, like, at least in terms of design-wise, like, nearing where I want it to be. Yeah, you're you're getting into dangerous terminology there, because w- once you start thinking that something is getting close to being done, uh, <laughs> Good eight luck months with goes by, <laughs> and you're like, oh, uh, didn't you say this game was almost done? Yeah, it was, but it wasn't. I did not say it was almost done. I said uh, That's what back. I heard, Bo. It's back on the table as an active project <laughs> when I'm not working on many other things. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I personally am pretty excited because I, I played Oregon Trail a lot growing up. Um, I did not. Did you know that our generation is now called the Oregon Trail generation? Because we're seeking for meaning and in, in No, because of that game. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was some sort of metaphor. No, no, it's uh, it's the generations, I think, that were born between, like, 78 and 84. Um, and so it's actually me, it's actually Tom on Wikipedia. Brokaw. You're telling me Tom Brokaw is the, the lost generation, the forgotten generation, and we're the Oregon Trail generation? You know, we are, Bo, and oh the internet doesn't lie, so... I just barely make it in there, so that's good get used to it buddy i never really played the game oh it's been fun interpreting a game that i haven't really played because it's like i i sort of have some vague ideas but then to actually like put them into practice i am not going to do them the same because i don't know what they're actually based off of and it Apple should be fun as someone who did play it a lot to see if you capture the essence of that wonderful game that is the great fear. Every time I make a change, I have to ask some of these Oregon Trail diehards. I'm like, is this okay? And they're like, no, it's not the Oregon Trail anymore. I was like, crap. Do I get to die of dysentery? You'll get to die of something. I think it's <sighs> syphilis. All right. Well, as long as I get to die. Well, you're you're there with your whole family. So oh. hopefully it's not syphilis. Wow, that got dark. <laughs> yeah. Take that out. All right. Um, so let's see here. So what's going on in the community? Oh, Eskimo Bob, I think, was just released on Steam. Yeah, we talked about that in episode one as one of those Kickstarter projects back in the spring, and it's already out, finished on Steam a few months later. I still need to play it. I have not played that one yet. I played the demo some. I have not given it a full try because I'm waiting for that cartridge to uh, appear. I think I ordered Arctic White. Man, there's nothing better than getting a new NES game and popping the cartridge in your system. Unless you have to still blow in it, which always sucks. Yeah, well, that's why we use games made with all new parts. Yeah, you really don't have to do it then. You sometimes just have to wiggle it due to pin connectors. Yeah. And the AVS can be a little clumsy to get games in and out of, but man, does it look I have good heard. on the TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, once you get one that works, maybe, <laughs> maybe I, you'll experience it. That's my own fault. I tried to fix it myself, and that did not go so well. Plus, you just got an HDMI TV for the first time in your life. It's true. I have done nothing in the last month except pretty much watch TV. <laughs> it's, it's, it's horrible. I got to get rid of this thing. Uh, welcome to the rest of our lives. I thought internet addiction was bad. Yeah. HDMI watching. And I think, um, didn't Tim just put up an auction for the remaining uh, Tailgate Party limited editions? Uh, the auction starts in August 5th. So... Oh, so it hasn't actually started yet. Well, that might be the day this is out. It um, might be. It won't yes. definitely won't be out before then. So when you're listening to this, <laughs> go, uh, if you want Ellie uh, on Nintendo Age, go put down a bid. 
The only difference is he will not be doing any more custom characters, uh, which the first ones, if you paid the extra 50 bucks, he'd draw your portrait in there or whatever you asked him it's to It's pretty dang cool being in the game. Uh, yes. I love playing as myself, kicking all the computer players' butts. I for, Oh, I just changed my homebrew calendar month, so I can't see. It's like rusty something. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but this hey. month is Connected NES by Rachel. Very pretty month. No, this month is... Oh, shoot. I hadn't changed it from last month. I, I just put July up when you told so me. So you I get to see Scramble for two minutes? Yeah, I guess I'm... I couldn't figure out why you were talking about Connected NES. Now I get it. Ah, uh, Bo. I was like, Kevin, it's yours. <laughs> my month has come and gone. It was my birthday last week. That's why I put myself as July. Did you put sad music in there? Oh, is that why you put yourself as July? Yeah, because it's my birthday month. Oh, so for those that don't know, once a year, Kevin does a homebrew calendar. He orders a bunch, and nobody ever buys them. And every year, he says he's never going to do it again. <laughs> and last year, well, he so that was the first year all this happened. And then the second year, he didn't do it. And then last year, our friend Matt, had he got him a secret Santa. So he made the calendar just for Matt and a few others. And still, he's left with a bunch that nobody bought. So, if you want to see a homebrew calendar this year, please buy it. Uh, it's Yeah, awesome. I still have a bunch. So, if you want a homebrew calendar, send me a message. For the next three months. You, if you buy me a Starbucks coffee, I will give you a homebrew calendar. How about that? Wow, you just went from like, hey, here's 10 bucks to like, hey, here's fire sale prices. Well, I don't care. I want people to look at Connected NES in the month of August. Oh, man, I can't believe it's August. So what else is going on? Oh, did you play... Someone just released, I don't know if you saw, a new demo for a game called Lucky Penguin. Have you played this game? I have, actually. Oh, man, it it looks so fun. It's just a little puzzle game with a little penguin. Um, But, man, the graphics are so cute. I actually got to talk to the creator some about it. Well, one of the creators, because the art is done by one guy, and then the programming and design was done by another fellow. Um, so yeah, I talked to the, I'm, I'm talking with one of the fellows who, who's on the team, uh, Marcelo, and he is the, he did the art and he told me that the game kind of grew out of his con, him and Lucas, it's like Lucas with a Z at the end, but that he's sounds the, right. yeah, he's the programmer and design guy. So Lucas, maybe <laughs> that's right. I, I hope you say it like that every time. Lucas. Lucas. Uh, but yeah, so their like conversations between the two of them is how this game came about, which to me is like one of the awesomest parts about working with another person is when your ideas start to influence each other and you just you create something that neither of you initially would have planned on, and it's just beautiful because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And so the game uses this weird, weird, really neat <laughs> <laughs> flickering thing that, that Marcelo had sort of looked into doing, and he flips backgrounds back and forth real fast, and it creates the illusion of more colors on the screen than there actually are. Because mm-hmm. the NES can only display, you know, what, 12, 13 background colors at a time? Yeah, and uh, let's three, see, three, three, six, nine, 13, yeah. 12, yeah, 13. 13. Um, <laughs> and he knew that, you know, the flickering, it, it happens really fast, but it's not quite so fast that you don't notice. So he knew that some people might not like it. So in the game, he programmed a way um, to where you can turn that option on and off uh, if you don't like uh, the effect that it gives. But it does. Uh, it is a cool effect. I got to give him props for going for it. 
Well, yeah, it's it's really neat and it's just sort of experimental and, and the using finding a game that you could use that technical feature and it is is pretty neat to me. And so you're a penguin. You're you move uh, one direction at a time. So if you hit left, you'll go all the way to the left until you hit a wall. Mm-hmm. And then if you hit down, you go all the way down until you hit a wall. And so it's a puzzle game in terms of you have a timer, and you're trying to collect some clovers on the screen. Yeah, and uh, the the screen wraps. So some puzzles are involved. Well, some do. When yeah. You, yeah. When you go all the way to the left, you actually go around to the right side of the screen until you hit a wall going that direction. Yeah, it makes for a fun little thing. But he chose clovers uh, because he thought they would go well with, with the background and like the Arctic white and all that. And so green really stands out on that background. And then the game is actually called Lucky Penguin, and he collects lucky clovers, but then they, he sort of shreds them up as he runs into them. You'll see them sort of explode into you know four pieces because he wants to make his own luck. And that's that's sort of the this premise grew out of Lucas's um, his <laughs> so his really neat uh, metatile kind of explosion there when he gets a clover and Marcelo sort of looked at it and was like he it looks like he's tearing them up so let's build the story based around that and that's the story for this charming little puzzle game how do you know so much history about every game that comes out you know, I just emailed him, and I, I was curious sort of about the game and, like, what was going on with it, and... I yeah, was, tell me I was... about the game and every detail about the history of this game, because I'm... No, I, I, I like to get people's stories, because homebrews interest me, because behind each of these games, there's the story of a, of a guy or gal making his or her dream, and kind of... It's not just somebody getting paid to make a game, it's somebody that really has to want to make something, and they really want to make something very specific whether it's using a neat technical feature like this flickering thing or telling this story like rob's doing in the mad wizard like there's really like a drive behind it that i find fascinating and so i tend to try to find those stories when i can and as some i mean i i've i played through the demo of lucky penguin and i you know i noticed him tearing up the clovers uh after each level but i now that you told me like sort of what it means in the grand scheme of the story i I like the game even more so as much as i tease you you know about you know digging in and, and learning about the history of all these games it really does make me love them even more well, that, that, usually all that's in the manual, so so read those manuals. We put a lot of time into them, it's oddly enough, because nobody needs them anymore, but we still do. Is there anything uh, else? Are there any other new games coming out that you know of? Oh, there's always something. Uh, I, I would say if you're interested in learning more about the homebrew community, uh, Nestev and Nintendo Age are the two key places to go to. Mm-hmm. You can sign up for the forums. It's free. Anybody can jump on and you can sort of just get involved like if, if you want to play games that haven't been released try out demos have input into what you like and what you don't like you can do all that right now just go sign up and they're yeah. welcoming communities you can do it while you listen to this podcast just push the home button on your phone open up your browser go to nintendoage.com start a thread say hi I never introduced myself. I just sort of appeared with like a 20 page post and that was. <laughs> oh, I wish you were kidding. But I'm not. not. <laughs> I, I usually bump it every year just, just to remind people that this is how I got started. Uh, here is my wall of text. And it was, it was a thread that you and Rob started. That was 
why why haven't you learned to program for nes yet yes probably one of the most important things i've ever read in my life and do you know what that stemmed from aol instant messenger my friend the year was 1987 (laughs) no no it was just it was just a few years ago bo and bo and i rob and i were up late at night drinking as we do man that really ties into that uh hit in the bottle thing that you alluded to and i am not an alcoholic i'm trying to <laughs> i'm trying to let everyone know but yeah Too we beer, were kevin we were up late just drinking and we were like man like this is so fun like why isn't anyone else doing this like why aren't more people doing this and i was like you know what i'm gonna go make a thread right now and ask why people aren't doing this and you know a lot of late night posts by me don't turn into much um like me <laughs> drunkenly asking why in the hell i didn't own a a complete inbox uh whatever game that was space shuttle project that exactly spatial was project. it really yes i was <laughs> drinking late like why don't own this game because it's such a good game that game will never cease to astound <laughs> uh more people need to play that game but we're talking about homebrews i don't want to get on the space shuttle project soapbox right now um, but yeah, man, I was just like, why aren't more people doing this? So I started that thread uh, and it sort of took off. And a lot of people who don't normally post in the brewery sort of piped in. And after that, I was like, you know what? Maybe people aren't doing it because they are afraid to ask dumb questions. You know, it's it's sort of a, a little hill that you have to get over knowing a little bit of terminology. So then I started a second thread. Ask all programming questions here, you know, even if they're dumb. There are no dumb questions, and let me be clear, there are dumb questions, but we don't care. Like, bring your dumb questions. We want you to ask dumb (laughs) questions. Um, Because half the battle is like knowing how to ask a question and being able to create a safe space where you can ask a question without knowing even how to ask a question, I think is really cool. So that those two threads are there, you know, come over on Nintendo Age and talk to us. We're trying to develop develop a community and... um, that is sort of one of the hardest things about all this is trying to get the word out on what we're doing. So if you want to come be a part of it, don't be scared, you know, as, as, as worried as you are, as maybe you're going to come across looking dumb, you won't come hang out with us. We want you to be there. And it's not just programming. If, if you want to do art, if you want to do music, if you, the one thing that people don't like to hear about is design, like if you want to design somebody else's game for them, that usually gets quite a bit of criticism. But but everything else, if you can help or get on board. Yeah, even yeah. if you want to help beta test, like there oh, are yeah. positions um, where Position. we, we can use you. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it's official, but, you know, it is kind of a big deal to come on and, and, and persistently play the same game over and over and over to try to break it. Um, it takes some extreme dedication, that's for sure. It does, and a lot of people say they want to help, and we choose them, and then they play it a couple times and disappear. And, you know, that's that's just part of the process. Um, every game, even if I only have five testers, at least one or two drop out every time. And it's like, well, what do I do? Do I find somebody new, or do I just go with the dedicated ones? Well, like, when, you, when you say that you want to beta test a game, a lot of people sometimes don't stop to think about oh, I'm actually going to have to play this game over and over and over. It's not just, oh, it's going to be fun to sit down and play a game. Like, it really is work. You have to sit down and, and sort of beat that dead horse until you never want to see that game again. Um, that is the goal. <laughs> I never want to see Larry again, ever. You're a liar. That game I is... haven't 
played it since we finished testing it. <laughs> well, we're no Same longer Same with Arm friend. for Battle, which is why this podcast is great, because I get to go back and play some games that I said I would never play again, and, like, threw in the corner. Speaking of a game that I never get tired of playing, The Mad Wizard, even after I literally just beat the game, like, four days ago, I immediately want to, like, go back and play it again. Like, I can't get tired of that game. It's so fun. I strongly almost kind of disagree in some ways, but not always. That's the one shortcoming for me with it, is that uh, the replayability isn't as high as I think I would like because the the path isn't fully non-linear. There's a few things you can miss later that you didn't pick up, and then it makes certain bosses impossible or at least harder. But I think I just would have wanted just a little bit more, like free exploration ah you're crazy i mean you can always improve on your speed you can go different ways to get different power-ups in different orders ah it's well i played it i played it multiple times in a row when it first came out and then i even went through and played it and screen captured every screen because i wanted to analyze rob's level design because i just thought it was so good uh just the way that he had structured things with so few enemies and then i kind of finished it probably shouldn't play a game twice in a row like that and i kind of put it aside and really like when we went to do this podcast like in my head it's one of the greatest ones but in terms of playability i was like oh do i want to play this again i I sort of got bored last time nope i loved every second of this replay through i just need a little bit of time Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's yeah it still stands as one of the i don't know it's, it's either the best it's one to like one out of three of my top favorite homebrews ever made. All right. Well, we're not even going to mention the other two jerk homebrews right now because they don't deserve it. <laughs> this one's the best. Oh, and I don't think uh, we mentioned that uh, the Goofy Foot NES controller, uh, a Kickstarter just went live for that. It's actually an NES controller where the buttons are flipped. Is that right? Yeah, so you have the D-pad on the right and the buttons on the left. If that doesn't send you into a screaming rage, just to think about. <laughs> and I know that uh, I think he's sort of marketing it toward like left-handed people, um, but at, as myself being a left-handed person, I definitely have never had the desire to, to play with a controller backwards, but the idea is really cool. Uh, funnily enough, or funnily enough, oddly enough, um, he is not really a fan of calling it a left-handed controller. Oh, okay. So, I mean, what was his reasoning for doing it? Do you know? No, that I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, I do know that it's named after a skateboard term. Goofy is it? foot. Yeah. Um, normally, you know, skateboarders, they, when they, I guess, normal skateboarders, I don't, I don't even know if you can say that anymore, but uh, normal skateboarders, when they're, when they're, you know, going down the road, typically their feet are facing to the right. Um, and it's, it used to at least be, uh, less common for skateboarders to face the other direction. So they would call, uh, people who face that direction goofy footed. Ah, I see. So there you go. But he actually featured, uh, both of our games in the trailer for that. Have you seen it? No, I, I've been so busy the last couple of days. I haven't. Yeah, he, uh, he features Scramble and he features Spookatron. Oh, shoot cool i'll have to check that out yep just for a split second but it's definitely cool to see some love uh and that is put on by a gentleman named steve deluca uh and he goes by total red nes um yeah and, uh, i'll Neat put guy. the 
yeah, really, really nice guy. Uh, we met him in Portland, um, and I'm sure we'll see him again this year. Uh, well, I hope so, anyway. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to put the link to the Kickstarter in the podcast description, uh, along with a link to Rob's site. Um, so if you want to check out uh, Rob's demos or uh, the Kickstarter for Total Red NES, definitely do that, because uh, the more money he can raise, uh, the cheaper he can get the parts. Yeah, it does make a big difference. And if you're curious, he is right-handed. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. So it's not like this. Uh, so he's just a masochist. world thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's just a masochist. <laughs> um, but he, it's not. Uh, he, I think he is offering some complete pre-built controllers. Um, but I think most uh, of the lower tiers are sort of a build-it-yourself kind of thing. So if you're decent at soldering and you want to uh, get in on this for an affordable price. Uh, there are some inexpensive ways uh, to where you can get some some kits to where you can do more of the the assembly yourself. I will buy a pre-built on. Thank you much. Yeah, me too. Because I am the worst solderer in the world. I'm pretty sure. Solderer, very nice. Is that not how it's said? Sol solderer. What? The L is silent. I know. I'm just kidding. I oh, just, okay. I'm worse. I was than starting you are. to second guess myself. No, no, I'm way worse than you are. But uh... you're worse than me. Actually, we should leave that out since I'm selling a bunch of people controllers. <laughs> now that I've taken all your money. Um, so that is that. What else do we have? Uh, music. Yep. So Rob actually just finished the Mad Wizard he did a few years ago. How many years has it been now? Oh, that would have been mm, 2014, I think. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Um, but his latest notes. game. Oh, you're going to actually check notes here. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I keep notes. Don't okay. you? No. Uh, well, if I can get them up. Oh, that's what she said. Um, oh, there it is. The Mad Wizard was finished in, like, uh, it was announced in July of uh, 2014. It was kind of finished a couple months later, but it wasn't actually released until uh, February of 2015 due to some production delays and some mm. bug testing and stuff like that. And I think so I think I remember uh, when that was going on, Rob getting so sort of impatient and frustrated that he was just like threatening to just like release the ROM for free. And I was like, Rob, calm down. Yeah, he uh, he wants people to play his games. And so he did eventually release the ROM in September yeah. of 2016. And you can go download it, throw it on a power pack or EverDrive or just your PC and mm -hmm. Play it to your heart's content. Yeah, so he just finished uh, programming a game called Black Box Challenge, um, which is sort of a, a fun little... I mean, how would you even classify the game? Like, it's kind of an RPG? It is. It's like a collector RPG where you're going around collecting the black box titles. But to, part of that is you actually play through Rob's interpretation of those titles so like golf you know if you've ever played the black box golf you have you know like the power bars and you're hitting the ball and all that so he did a simplified version of that and like that's a challenge along the way yeah he actually reprogrammed every black box title inside this game like a little portion of each game um yeah. it's really cool and i'm sure we'll get to it in the future uh in more detail um but we're going to feature to close uh this episode uh one of the songs from that game um 
but uh, we want to thank everyone for tuning in. Um, if you have any questions that you want to write in, you can send them to nesassemblyline at gmail.com. Uh, we'll answer them on a future episode. Uh, if you want to write to us on Twitter, I am at a ton of glaciers and Bo is at soul goose. Rob is at sly dog studios. Um, and if you want to rate us on iTunes, that would definitely help us in the search metrics. We are, we finally have enough reviews to where when you search (laughs) for us, it shows that we are a five-star podcast. So everyone that has left reviews already, yeah, that's true uh also so yeah if you've written a review for us thank you so much um it really really does uh mean a lot and it does make a difference so we appreciate it so we'll be back uh next time to talk about another game i don't know if we know which game we're going to talk about next yet do i we? think we both have our ponies in a corner and they're going to fight it out in a minute <laughs> all right so appreciate you guys tuning in we're going to leave you from this song from black box challenge thanks guys <laughs>